Hey everybody, welcome back. And this is um, Acts chapter 6 of Revive School. I'm Gordy Hinky. I'm one of the teachers that comes here occasionally and we are honored uh, to be a part of Revive School. It is always a privilege. It's an honor to open the Word of God and to share the teachings of the gospel with people who are hungry, that want to grow, that want to learn. And look, not any of us have it all. Um, we can all learn and benefit from one another, and so it is a delight. But I, uh, the book of Acts obviously is um, far more where we live. We've come through the historical books, and uh, we've made our way now into the book of Acts, and uh, it's exciting to me. Uh, and one of the things that I, I want us to just look at as we're opening up this book of Acts, and real honestly, we've, we've, we've just scratched the surface here, and things are happening in fast progression. And um, with, the, with what has happened already, I, I want us just to realize where we're at in the time frame of the church. Because, you know, we've studied through the Gospels and we had the ever-present Jesus. We've, we've had the presence of God with us in a visible way. And, uh, obviously when, when, when you're walking with Jesus, you get to see things. Man, he's, a, he's full of miracles. He's full of power, full of faith, all these things. And then we transition. Uh, this is that same Jesus that told them over and over before. He said, you know, um, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to, it's, in fact, he, he even said to his apostles, it's better for you if I go. And they're going, try, try to put that into our minds. That's not going to happen. It's better if you're here. But the truth is, we're learning through the book of Acts why he said, it's better for you if I go. Because when I go, I'm going to send another one that will go with all of you. And even when you're separated, he'll be with each of you. And so when we're looking at the book of Acts, and, and I just want to make kind of a, a quick progression here of where we've been in just the last little while. You know, Acts chapter 1, Jesus is on the scene, and then he's, then he's out, but he's commissioned them. Acts chapter 2, uh, they've waited, and the day of Pentecost comes, and, and now the empowerment, the endowment of God coming upon them with cloven tongues of fire even, and, uh, and, and the scenario of that upper room, and how it was noised abroad throughout all that Jerusalem area. You get into chapter 3 and you've got so many things going on, but what we, what we had in chapter 2 was 3,000 people added to the church. You get into Acts chapter 3, you've got the, the various stories of Peter and John and, and the, the healing of the man and, and then they're, you know, they're, they're come against for what they did in that. And you're just looking at this and going, now wait a minute, that's a good miracle, isn't it? Yeah, unless that's not what you do, like the religious folks. And uh, so then they, they get arrested and things happen. And Acts chapter 4, through that, 5,000 people come into uh, the you know the discipleship thing they 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 believe they're they're seeing miracles they're 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 seeing all kinds of things they're hearing teaching and hearing it in a bold way one of the words that comes out in this is boldness and so when you're hearing this this word of authority in uh the book of acts Boldness is what authority brings out boldness, and it's an excellent work that comes out. And so they're speaking in a different way than they were speaking before. And then you know what happens when somebody speaks boldly in that way? It says that they were pricked in their hearts. In other words, something got into them that said, I believe these guys know what they're talking about. 
And so as we get into chapter 6 today, I just want to put that in there because now we're going to get into a different scenario yet. And it says in Acts chapter 6, it says, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, uh, not added, by the way, multiplied. Uh, you, you get the difference? I mean, if you're putting 3,000, 4,000 in, that should make pastors perk up their ears. Anybody want to have 3,000 or 4,000 added to their church? Yeah, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Well, that's what, it, that's what was going on here. And then here's, here's the, the beautiful work in this, isn't it? In those days when the number of the disciples was multitude, guess what happened? There arose a murmuring. Now we're doing church, buddy. Now we are doing church. Because here's the Grecians and the Hebrews. And, and because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Okay, we, we've read about they've had all things in common. They're selling their stuff. You know the story of Barnabas? And then you had the fresh details just yesterday of uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Um, any choice of which one you would like to be there? Barnabas, Ananias, and Sapphira. Um, yeah, one gets to go on a missionary journey. The other two, the journey's over. And so when, when we look at these things, I, I, I'm, I'm putting all this out there as information so that we're trying to qualify how these things come about. But there's going to be a humanity involved in this thing, as there always is in the church. And so we're going to see something happen here that I believe is very good for us to pay attention to. And it says that the Grecians rose a murmuring against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily. And in my King James, you know, it's ministration. It's not, you know, it, it should just be service or anything like that. But here's what I will say. Do you know that word right there, ministration? It's a Greek word. You know what it is? No, I doubt you do. So I'm going to tell you. It's diakoneo. It's the exact same word as what it's going to bring forth. Why? Because what it's saying is there was a daily ministry that was supposed to be happening. Well, why wasn't it happening? Well, you plan one day and then add 4,000 the next day or 5,000 the next day and see how that works for you. Where's the food? Well, that's reasonable. But here's what's really neat about this whole scenario. Let's go on to the next verse. And it says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples to them. In other words, the twelve who are seen as the leaders, they're the apostles that are running the show. They're the ones who really have been the first-hand accomplices. So therefore, they gather the rest of the disciples. And I want you to pay attention to what they said then. They said to all, everybody assembled there, they said it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So here's here's what they're saying right from the beginning. We have to keep the main thing, the main thing. If we start getting ourselves off track, we'll deviate and go in crazy places. So let's go to verse 3. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, Seven men full of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business or this service. So here's, here's the idea. In the church now, we have something called need, necessity. 
Nobody wants to see people overlooked. Nobody wants to see people mishandled. Nobody wants to see this one cared for, that one not cared for. I would like to think that, you know, I'm a pastor. I would, I would want to see everybody cared for, but can I see everybody? Do I know everyone's needs? Do I understand the backgrounds of all the people involved? No. So somebody brings the issue to you and now you've got to figure out how does this play out in a scenario? This is the first time this has happened. This is the time when, when these guys are going, oh, yeah, it's true. We weren't really paying attention to the food side of things. We weren't paying attention to the care for the widows. We were paying attention to the, the daily teachings and the prayer times and those kinds of things. So here's what they said. We're going to find seven guys. And they need to be guys of good reputation. They've got to be guys that have been among us that we know. We see the change in their lives. They've been followers of Christ. We want to make sure that they're full of the Holy Spirit, that they've got this going on where they're, they're not timid in this way. Full of wisdom. They get what they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. And we will just put them in charge of this section. Verse 4. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, uh, we're, we're going to make some separation in this in just a little bit. But here's what I want us to see. There are parts of our, in a sense, church life, congregational life, that so many times we get wrapped up in strategy. And I believe that this area right here is one thing that must be prioritized and put in the top place in the church, that there has to be those people who are leading the charge that must give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Guys, this is not our church. We don't run the gospel. We walk out the gospel. We take all of it as instruction to us. And we don't tell God what he needs to do for us. We ask him what we can do for him. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember a certain president who said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And when he said that, oh, the people went crazy and all that. Jesus has said the same thing over and over and over again. Come on, follow me. Do what I ask you to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. This will work for all of us if we'll just work it out the way he has it planned. And so when you when you look through this thing and you see what, what these 12 said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Let's go on to the next verse. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. And so here's the list of the guys. Stephen. Now, I, this is kind of funny. The first one says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And then it just lists the other names. Do you think that there was a, a, something that stuck out with Stephen? It seems that there was. And we'll, we'll, you'll have more and more of this uh, throughout the, the next chapters. But it, it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So here's the seven guys who are going to be appointed. Go to the next verse, if you would. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now, these are what we call the first deacons. 
And the reason why this is so important is that word is still something that will be used over and over in scriptures. In fact, if you go to First Timothy and places, we're not going to go there right now. Um, there's going to be places where the deacons have qualifications just as they did in Acts chapter 6. You're going to see people who are made and brought forth so that they serve the needs of the church more than they serve the, the the spiritual aspect of the church. And this is something that I want to bring out in this teaching today in the sense that the necessity of what needed to happen, not neglecting the prayer, not neglecting the word, but the other necessities can be handed off and brought into places where the service of the church goes forward. And so when you're, when you're looking through, um, the list of people and the things that are going on there, and you see that they have now set in place, uh, in a sense, a strategy, I'm going to say. And so there's this little principle that I would say is that when, when there's a necessity in the church, that's when you can set for, forth the strategy to meet the need. But what I find different in our today church is many times we strategize for something before there's actually a necessity because we're wanting to see something happen and it's not born out of necessity. I believe that when necessity is the, is the work in the church, when there's something that is necessarily involved in the church, God's going to give you the wisdom. God's going to give you the people. God's going to give you the, in, the, uh, the finance and everything to make that happen. But if we're just going to strategize and if we're just going to make it bigger and if we're just going to broaden our own horizons by strategy, I think many times we'll find that we end up in trouble because we've strategized in our own understanding. And these are things that I see in this place that, that really need to be paid attention to in our day. I realize there's all kinds of churches out there. I realize that we're talking even on a radio, bless you WFRN, and, and we're, we're looking at different places, uh, uh, backgrounds of people and all kinds of things. But when will we stay with the simplicity of scripture? When will we get with the plan of God? When will we remember that Jesus said, I will build my church? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I give you the keys to the kingdom. I give you the understanding of how it can work. But I build the church. I'm the one that can add 3,000 and 5,000. I can put this together in a way that you'll go, wow, that's awesome. But see, that's a little bit where we get into it. We want to make it awesome. And I have been there myself. I, I have strategized in my own mind at times and saying, Oh God, I think that would be a good idea. And God, that would be a good idea. And yet the truth is, it was my idea. It wasn't out of necessity. It was going to make me look better or our church look better or maybe look at this way. And did it increase the effectiveness of the gospel? Probably not. And I think that there's a lot of this that needs to be brought back into carefulness in the day we're living in, because as we have grown in the church, sometimes we have outgrown the word. And so I look at this and I'm going, okay, so what happened after the apostles? And uh, I'm just going to go on here just a little bit. It won't be Acts chapter six, but, but after the apostles, I mean, the apostles aren't here forever. And what happened was, how did we have the church set up that came into the place where the apostles are off the scene and, and the deacons were appointed 
And I believe that we, we clearly see it in scripture that there was two groups of people still in the church when Paul was bringing the revelation of the church set up and they're called elders and deacons. They're called the people who are supposed to give themselves to the prayer and to the word. And then there's others who are supposed to give themselves to the service of the church to meet the needs of the church. And yet many times what we get off in is when we begin to strategize and we find disagreement among us about how that's supposed to play out, or we start handing out things to people who should have no business in the position they are because they've been brought in besides reputation and full of the Holy Ghost. They've been brought in because they're positioned in this, in the, in their business world somewhere, or they're a charismatic person, or they've got a magnetic personality and we bring people into leadership. And yet here we have what they said right here. These men full of the Holy Ghost of good reputation, full of wisdom. And here they come in. So these are the kinds of things that I look at and say, okay, we have elders and deacons, and, and this is spoken about. In fact, if you would, Kevin, go to Acts 14. Let's just look just a little bit. And um, Acts 14.21, I should give you a verse if I want you to go there. And it says this, Acts 14.21. And this is, um, it, it just, let's just read it. And it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they atten- returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. And go on to the next. Confirming the souls of the disciples. In other words, realizing that the faith had really taken off there. Exhorting them to continue in the faith. That's what the apostles were doing. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Next verse. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now, I realize this is in Acts chapter 6. This is somebody else's territory, Acts chapter 14. But here's what I want to say. As the church grows and as things move about, we're going to see a natural movement within the church structure. Why did they appoint these deacons? Because the daily service, the, 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 the numbers had grown so fast, the daily service wasn't being taken care of and there wasn't people set in place to meet the needs. Necessity. After the gospel has moved into other cities, the apostles can't get everywhere and some of them aren't going to go. What are you going to do? You're going to appoint elders. And what that tells me a lot about is, is the autonomy. The, the, every, every place where they went, the church was on its own and you would see them appoint elders and then they they would let the elders take care of it. Why? Because every church has its own necessities. And I don't believe that these things are in here just accidentally. I don't believe that these things are something that we just look at and go, well, that was Acts 6. That's That's not for today or something like that. There's a necessity of how God has put things in place and he's given the apostles the wisdom and he's built the church on it. And what we see in this is after they had done that, it says the saying pleased the whole multitude. I'm just going to challenge us today. How many of us look at those things as the priorities of the churches we attend? How many of us who are even pastors, that that's the part where we're saying, I don't know what else we're going to do, but I'll tell you this, what we're not going to do is deviate from prayer and from the teaching and preaching of the word so that the people become educated in the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of the New Testament church. That's everything. And then we meet the needs of those around us and God will honor that. I believe that with every bit of who I am. And so I believe that that's what's coming out here. 
elders and deacons. You have that 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5, the qualifications that Paul writes and says, these are the kinds of people they need to be, deacons and elders, and it continues on. And so when we see these things in this, in chapter six, that the word and prayer are what make this possible for us. And then just having eyes for the needs in the church. These are values that many times they're not even the main priorities of the church anymore. That's grievous to me. And so I believe that that the first part of Acts chapter six is what we're talking about in this way. And I just challenge you guys, get yourselves in position that no matter where God wants to use you, you're already in position spiritually to do what God would ask you to do. Because some of your churches need leaders that are consistent and faithful. Others need to see marriages that are are healthy and, and the man loves his wife and the wife loves her husband and, and they have a beautiful work. Why? Because they're both doing and be staying in position with the things of God. That's how we have flourishing churches. And that's to be the separation that the world looks at and goes, I don't know how they do that, but man, they got the best people that go to them churches. I don't care about the name on your church. Are we full of the Holy Ghost? Are we people of reputation? Are we full of wisdom? Because the Holy Ghost makes that happen inside of us. And that's what will cause the church to flourish. Let's go on to the rest of this chapter. And uh, we'll go down uh, to Brother Stephen in verse 8. And it says this. Now we're going to shift over just a little bit into uh, this man that it says, even in verse 8, it says he was full of faith and power and did great wonders and miracles among the people. Yes, this is that same Stephen. The, the thing, wouldn't it be exciting? I mean, come on, this is still very early in the book of Acts. Did you read Stephen before? No, but you'll read Stephen again and again. And even after Stephen is gone, you will read Stephen. And so that's the part that I'm looking at here and I'm going, why is it majoring here? And yet Stephen was a man who decided that he was going to follow God with everything he had. And he made a major impact in the first church. How much we need Stephen's today. Go on to the next verse. And it says, there arose certain of the synagogue which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, the Cyrenians, and Alexandrians. These are mostly cities right in North Africa. Uh, if, if you look across the top, go into your Bible maps, you'll see them. It's okay, you don't need to know it. And them of Cilicia and of Asia, and they were disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Well, surprise. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, they're not going to be able to resist your wisdom. They're not going to be able to refute what you say. So what do they have to do? Here's another aspect of what happens in the church world today. And it says, then they suborned men or they hired people, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. Now, I want to, I'm going to just show you just a little bit of a pattern, okay? You, you remember, uh, Pastor Tom Schieffer and, uh, he had put the thing up there of the Sanhedrin and, and how they had, you know, they had the accused sit among the Sanhedrin with 35 on each side and, and, and then they bring the accused in and, and it's, it's meant to do one thing, intimidate. Let me just say this. 
the religious among us will want to intimidate those who actually work in the power. That's just the nature of it. Why? Because they know that they can't imitate it, so they must intimidate it. And when we can look at that and see that, that's when we become full of faith and power like Stephen. So they they hired people to give false witness, then they stirred up the people, and that stirred up the elders and the scribes, and so they got all the religious people who were on their side, and, and they came upon him, caught him, and brought him to the council. We'll go on, Kevin. And they set up false witnesses which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Now, isn't it interesting that one group of people sees Stephen as a man full of faith, full of power, full of the Holy Spirit, of a good reputation, full of faith, and doing miracles. And there are people in the same area that see him as a blasphemer and as one who speaks against God and does wrong things and speaks against the old ways of doing things. Isn't it interesting? All it is, is spiritual warfare. We should expect it because now we who are born of the Spirit, the enemy recognizes and the evil spirit of others will recognize and they don't know how to deal with what's going on in their own spirit. So they come against it. We see this today. We see it in our nation. We see it in our churches. And so that's what we have to be ready for. There's always going to be false witnesses. There's always going to be accusation. There's always going to be those who stir up strife. What we have to do is stay on course, stay in prayer, stay on course with the word, and make sure we give the tools for the church to flourish. That's where Stephen is. And after they had set up these false witnesses, let's go to verse 14, if you would. And they have said, we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place. I think that's old by now. And shall change the custom which Moses delivered us. I think that argument has been settled. And yet these are those who were there before Jesus and they want to stay long after Jesus. To them, Jesus is off the scene. To Stephen, he's right here and I'm full. 15. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Now, I'm not saying that he was transfigured at that moment. But what I am saying, it says all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him. How do you look steadfastly? I mean, you're staring at him. That's what we call it. And everybody's going Man, that guy creeps me out. He's got a face. It's like, it's like Moses coming down from the mountain. His face is shining. He's got this satisfied look. He's even got a smile on his face knowing that you guys are all coming against him. And yet he's going, so what? Why? Because his confidence and his boldness does not come from inside himself. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit that has completely taken him over. And he is now a witness of the power of God. And he's unafraid. I have a saying. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I believe that the most face, the most dangerous man on the face of the earth is the man who has nothing to lose. And if there are ever been people who have nothing to lose, it's supposed to be us. I can't lose in this thing. Why? It's the same thing that Paul said. For me to live, Christ. To die, gain. 
And yet what we've learned is we love our life here as if this is better than heaven. There's nothing in Scripture that would say that would be the case. There's everything in Scripture that would say that place is going to be awesome. And not only that, it's freedom. Freedom from this life and this body of death and and from this earth that's corrupted and, and from oppression in the mind and all these things. And yet here's Stephen who gives us the first indication that these people all accusing him and railing on him. And yet they said, the guy's got the face of an angel. I want to say something to all of us who are doing the school. May we be those same kind of people. I don't have to answer every accusation. What I've got to do is know whom I have believed and know that he is able to keep me and keep that which I've committed unto him all the way to the end. And when I have that, I have nothing to lose. And if I can see myself in that place, I become the most dangerous man on the face of the earth. I trust you will become the same thing. Lord bless you. We'll see you next time.